This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Gemini Man, episode zero. Sure, but you see these gold circuit contacts? They must stay in contact with your skin or you go invisible. What if it runs down? It can't. It's powered by plutonium and cobalt chips. An atomic battery. That's right. But you can turn it off. This button, it changes the frequency. You press that, and you go invisible. Can I flicker on and off? Like a road blinker. All right. For the man who has everything. Come on, get this shackle off of me. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast investigating the relationship between DNA helixes and visibility. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? What did you think of the science in this? Uh, it's uh, pretty loose. <laughs> it's pretty loose. I kind of like the charming aspect of they're just like, uh, it's it's atomic energy. You're like, what? They're like that answers all those questions. Move along. I just kept thinking, I'm like, how many how many things are like that in these shows we're watching today? Where in like 50 years would be like, that's not how that works at all. I mean, there's a amazing amount of hand waving in this show, but I think to be fair, it's not really what they were hoping people were going to tune into. They're not tuning into for the science. They're tuning into. A guy with a watch who can make himself invisible. Or actually, more accurate, make himself visible. All right. Well, that brings us to this week's new series, Gemini Man. Not the 2019 Will Smith Ang Lee film. No. Did you see that, though? I haven't seen it, no. I will eventually. Do you think it's based on this? Yeah, I think young Will Smith can turn invisible, so (laughs) old Will Smith has to fight him. Yeah. Well, we'll see what ends up being better. This is this is the 1976 series from NBC. It was uh, it was suggested by a Twitter user at C Chupik who uh, has recommended things to us before. And to be clear, though, he did not recommend this show. He just said this might be something you might have fun with. He was just sort of like, "Are you guys going to watch either of the two 1970s Invisible Man shows that neither of them could get off the ground? That's interesting that he knew both that. He, he should be really one of the hosts of this show, because I think he knows more than we do. There was an Invisible Man in 1975 that didn't work, and they thought, this concept is too good. We got to do it. And so this was the second attempt at it and also did not do well. No, I mean, what I did hear, though, did very well in the UK. Is that right? Apparently, they ran the entire season there, and there was a few, like, annual comic book magazines and like people people were really into it in the uk apparently and now how many in the states they made 11 episodes and i think only five aired the u.s correct something like that yeah but they all aired in the uk they all aired in the uk all 11 they couldn't get enough apparently apparently it was very popular there from what i've read did you see the weird thing that this was also repackaged as a movie in 1981 i did i did uh riding with death riding with death which i have to say is a better title than gemini man that would also be, I believe, that would make it the second show I know for sure that we have covered that was also on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, is that right? Yeah, apparently they, that's how most people know this show is via Riding with Death, the recut film that Mystery Science Theater uh, watched and commented on. It's funny because when I was doing a little bit of research into this, I saw that there was also a TV movie and I had assumed that this pilot was recut in a different way, but it's not. Apparently that movie, Riding with Death, is just two random episodes from later in the series that had jammed together 
in a, I'm assuming, not quite sensical uh, plot. I mean, why remake Perfection? I, I suppose. Well, let's sort of talk a little bit about it. Um, it was broadcast between May 10th and December 8th, 1976. But to be fair, the TV pilot aired on May 10th, and then the series went went to air on September 23rd. So there's like a big gap between this TV movie pilot and the actual start of the series. Yeah, so did they, put, they put the movie on. People were like, Gemini Man, Gemini Man, Gemini Man. And then they said, yes, we'll, we'll give you all the Gemini Man you want. And then they said, no, 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 it's canceled. Everyone hates it. They wanted two straight months of it, and that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jordan, do you want to know uh, what was happening in the world while Gemini Man was on the airwaves? I can't wait. It's 19, what, 1976? 1976. Yeah, what was happening? September 25th, U2 is formed. Wow, you two is that old, huh? Yep. They, one of the members put up a, a band notice at the school, and the rest of the people joined him, and that was the beginning of you two. How about that? November 2nd, Jimmy Carter wins the U.S. election. Mm. He had to give up his uh, peanut farm. His peanut farm. Just so he wouldn't have any, what, what do they call that? Like uh, Conflict of interest. There you go. November 25th. The band holds their final concert, The Last Waltz, as documented by Martin Scorsese. Huh. December 3rd, Bob Marley shot an assassination attempt. Mm. And December 8th, the Eagles release, Hotel California. Oh, man, do I hate that song. Really? Yeah, it's just, I don't need to hear that anymore. It's fine. Like, we've heard it. We get it. What do you want to hear then? You know, I have a list of songs I don't need to hear again, and Hotel California is right at the top of the list. It's not that it's a bad song. It's just, we've heard it. We get it. Yeah, you're more into, like, EDM these days. I'm more into, uh, uh, what's that Korean rapper's name? Gavin? Gary. Gary. That's my thing. <laughs> All right, you ready to get into it? What a callback to, like, 20 episodes ago. People are loving it. All right, you ready to get into it for of course. real? Yeah, let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for episode zero, titled Pilot or Codename Minus One. A government agent is caught in the explosion of a government underwater salvage operation. He finds him elf invisible and sets out to use his new powers to prove that the explosion was sabotage. You know what? That's it. That's everything you do right there. I mean, that's a good. It's a good summary of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the sh- the show opens on a on a stock footage heavy salvage operation happening in the ocean. Mm-hmm. A Russian satellite has crashed. It may have a secret atomic-powered laser on it. The U.S. Navy and a USSR submarine are racing to recover it. And uh, the U.S. Navy, for some reason, has involved two private defense contractors. Yeah, they never do explain that, do they? Why why they would actually be on the boat? There's Intersect, which is our hero corporation. Yeah. And then Royce Industries. I love Royce Industries. I love everything they produce. Royce Industries' job on this particular recovery mission will be to send down all of the divers, secure the crash satellite with, like, cables to bring up, and then Intersect's job is to provide a supervisor? (laughs) I guess, yeah. Because their whole job is to send one man down to confirm the tables have been attached. I mean, this is the beginning of that, uh, the main character we're going to meet, Sam Casey. He's sort of like the elite guy. And we're also in about a scene going to be introduced to him in one of the greatest ways you can introduce a character. Like your your really macho lead tough 70s guy. Yeah, Sam Casey's a SIA dropout who was dishonorably discharged for being too much to handle. <laughs> yeah, he's a renegade. What are you going to do? What's the SIA? I don't know what the SIA is. I 
couldn't Google it. I couldn't figure out what that was. Is it just that they want to be the CIA and they just they didn't want to get into any legal trouble? I thought it was scuba diving related at first. Maybe it is. I was so involved. I didn't even think about it. Well, they keep mentioning it because they're like he because he was like dropped out and he was too much. Like they keep mentioning what an important government organization it is. But I just couldn't figure out what it was. But yes, you want to you want to say how he's introduced to us in this in this pilot? I don't know if they actually say who it is yet, but they're like, we got to get Casey here. He's the most important. Where is he? Like, why is he not here? And then we cut to that. (laughs) He's hunting for sharks or fishing for sharks. I don't know what would be the better term, but he's doing it in a helicopter. Yes, he's flying a helicopter. He's got a cable running it from the helicopter and he's trying to fish for a shark. Was he trolling for sharks? Was he was he carrying a big uh, cage un- net underneath the boat, or was he just going to spear them? Because I didn't really know what he was doing. All it was was they kept going to stock footage of sharks swimming, and then him in the helicopter being like, hot dog! He had the cable on a winch, like, going down off the side of the helicopter, and I think he had a hook at the end of that cable. Can you catch a shark that way? I mean, he doesn't. He, <laughs> he, does, he doesn't either. They're basically like, we need you. And he's like, ah, oh, man, I was in the middle of catching a shark. All right, I guess I'll go to do my job. But why why, uh, why was he trying to catch the shark? I don't know why. He was trying to do it to protect the divers when they dive down. I, did, I thought he was just sho- I thought he was just like showboating. No, uh, that's, that's his excuse for doing it. And during the scuba diving sequence, we'll see a lot of stock footage of sharks. Mm-hmm. But they never actually menace or do anything in the operation. No. There's just this weird idea that sharks are there, but that's all. I think they just want that uh, bit of danger. And let me just mention this now because I'll forget later. We've mentioned now a few times stock footage, and there is quite a bit of stock footage in this in, in some of the larger shots of like planes and that sort of thing. But more importantly, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but of all the shows we've seen in all the TV movies and all the different decades of TV show, I have never seen so many cutaway B-rolls as I have in this show. The director, for whatever reason, was very, very concerned that you saw everyone twisting screws and tying straps and putting rope around things. It's like every three seconds, there's a cutaway to stuff. It's unbelievable. Well, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I actually thought this was some of the best use of stock footage I've seen in one of these shows. No, no, I thought it was well done. It gives a sense of realism to a very silly, hokey show. And they seem to find, I mean, maybe it was shot for the show, but this footage they're using does seem stock, but it all seems to be properly sourced so it fits the it felt like whoever did the research to pull it like there's an airliner later and it has to land and like it all plays into the actual like sometimes we watch these shows and like something explodes and when you see the stock footage of the explosion it's like a different building explodes i agree it's all pretty seamless you want to talk about who the who sam casey's cohorts are at intersect yeah, well, well, very, very soon we're going to get, uh, get introduced to two people. The first being Abby Lawrence. Dr. Abby Lawrence. Dr. Abby Lawrence. And what I liked about her is I actually put the time code in and he hits on her or at least makes an unwanted sexual advance. And it happens at a minute 28 into the show. That's including credits, which I think is the fastest for any of our leading men they've ever done. And the joke is he's uh, he has to have her help zip up his... Uh, his wetsuit and he's like you want me to unzip yours later well he needs her help because uh he only, he needs him with a phd in physics to help him zip this up yeah hilarious she's very smart but uh he's she's just there for his his amusement for the entire hour and a half of this she's very amused and charmed by everything he says and then of course there's the head of intersect leonard driscoll great mustache yeah nice bald head great 70s mustache yeah he looks great i liked him 
Now, on the opposing side, the defense contractors who are there from Royce Industries, there's Charles Royce. Right. And he he obviously is the namesake. And also has a mustache. Do you know what else he has? What's that? Angina. (laughs) That's true. That's very funny. He does have angina, and they mention it. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. This is a big part of his character. (laughs) Got a weak heart. I don't know why that's so funny, but it is funny because they they mention it several times, and it's they mention it enough that you're like, they might be seeding something, but this also might just be a very weird like that's all they can develop the character. He's got angina, isn't that something? There's also his executive director, Doctor Harold Schuler. Mm-hmm. He's a second in command of Royce Industries, and I recognized him from uh, The Sting. I knew you'd recognize him. He's very recognizable. Yeah, off the top of my head, when I was watching, I was like, oh, he's the guy from The Sting, which was. A few years before this. I think it was like 73 or something like that. And then the Royce Industry also has like a huge number of lackeys that come and go in the episode. Yeah, they don't really mean anything. So during this underwater recovery sequence, uh, Dr. Schuler he gives one of his henchmen a, a magnetic mine to stick onto the satellite in order to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess under orders from Russians? Yeah, they're playing with the idea that, not that they're uh, double agents, but that this company has been co-opted by the russians because the the russians don't want anyone to uh discover the satellite but i assume that this was an arrangement made previously where these people have been underhandedly doing things for for the the soviets yeah it was never clear because the russians the russians never really come back it's like later becomes like they're more like war profiteers i suppose the only scene i remember right now is the scene where you first see the sub going under and they have those really bad Russian accents to let you know that they're Russians. They sounded very much like Chekhov from Star Trek. Is, is exactly what it sounded like. So one of the henchmen puts a, puts a little mine onto the device so that the Navy will never be able to recover it. And unfortunately for Sam, he's going to be the last man down there to check that the ropes are holding. That's his job. That's the only, th- only thing he can do. He's a specialist at it, though. And uh, when the bomb goes off, he isn't killed but he is heavily irradiated by nuclear a nuclear reaction. And he, he must be dead, right? Any, any normal man would be dead under that circumstances. But no, they pull his unconscious body off, uh, back onto the ship. And when they pull his face, off, his face mask off his scuba gear, they reveal a shocking discovery. He is invisible. That effect of the empty ski, uh, scuba mask was actually pretty good. What it kind of looks like almost because they're doing a pretty good job of um, uh, mime acting. And there's a lot of that in this. You got to get a lot of people get punched and, you know, fly backwards, but there's no one actually there. But they have to sort of feel his face. It looks like they're feeling someone's face. It's just black where the where the mask is. Yeah, it's just sort of an empty head basically sitting there. They, they start talking about it and they're like, Oh no, he's invisible. What's his chances? And she says, Dr. Abby uh, says, zero. <laughs> I, I was like, what a pessimist. She, does, she doesn't even say like, it's v- like very little chance he's going to survive or like 1%. She goes, zero, zero percent. Well, did you like how the invisibility started to spread? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The next scene, it didn't in the first scene, but the next scene, they're like, I think they get his suit off, right? And they're like feeling, uh, feeling his body. And I think it's just an effect of um, the special effect isn't quite working. So they've added in some dialogue because they're every time they're touching it, their sort of edges, their fingers are disappearing a little bit. I think the idea was to set up the idea that like when he, where his clothes go, because oh. she says it spreads and his scuba suit disappears. And then she puts her hand close enough, her hand disappears. Oh, you know, you're probably right. I just assumed it was a, a special effect that wasn't working very well. But then in the show, they, they wrap his head in bandages like Invisible Man style. Yeah. So they know where it is. 
But those bandages don't disappear. Are you saying there's some inconsistencies in this world? There's a, there's a few. There's a few <laughs> inconsistencies. But you you mentioned a cool scene, though. They have him all bandaged up, you know, so you can see what his actual appearance looks like. But then you have the, uh, the bandages kind of flying off because the impression they're giving you is that his hand is pulling them off. But obviously you can't see his hand. So you just get that kind of yeah. cool effect of the bandage coming off. Yeah, they race him back to intersect off the ship. And this is kind of where we kind of get a classic 70s giant computer lab scene where very, very quester tapes. And they learn about invisibility and how it affects um, Sam Casey. You're right that you said a lot like uh, the Quester tapes. A lot of these laboratories I've noticed in the 1970s are very interchangeable. Yeah, they're just sort of wall-sized computers with spinning reels of tape. And they never really do anything. They're just kind of there in the background looking big and menacing. It's a lot of lights that are flashing on and off. And, and invariably, there's one big bed in the middle of the room. They're always ready for some something terrible to happen to someone. They have that bed ready to go. So you want me to tell you how invisibility works? I did write down uh, all the things uh, they tried to get him back. I did write that. But how does invisibility work? Apparently, he was hit by a jolt similar to compressed lightning. (laughs) Yeah, that's bad. It affected his cellular structure and put his DNA helix out of whack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't you hate when your DNA helix is out of whack? I mean, you just go invisible. It's awful. Yeah, it's the it's awful. But yeah, this is there's some really fun invisibility effects around this. You mentioned him pulling the bandages off his head, like mm-hmm. them just sort of getting pulled off by invisible hands. But there's also um, an amazing shot where he's drinking a cup of floating milk. That's right. Yeah, through a straw. And uh, what I really liked is that it was an ambitious shot because there's two characters working behind him at computers. He's sitting in this bed. You can't see his head, but he's sipping milk. So you're seeing milk go up a straw into nothing. And there's a camera move. And it just doesn't quite... Like, the, like they clearly shot part of it in one place and part of it in another place and tried to match the camera moves up. And it almost works. It's just a little bit off. Like, it's got that just, like, tiny yeah. bit where it just doesn't... The movement's not quite there. But I thought it was, like, really ambitious of them. And they do it a few times. They try a few camera moves using someone becoming invisible or turn like stopping being invisible and i was just like it's a pretty daring for a show of this budget to like try to like be so tricky with their effect what i liked about this scene and a few scenes that are coming up are what we're getting now is they keep uh well abby is really trying to figure out how to get him visible again and uh i don't know why leonard driscoll's there but he's there the whole time too the two of them are almost always together but they go through kind of a series of scenes of them talking to sam and like you're saying that he's drinking milk or he's moved around it's a lot of scenes to show that he's invisible but what i like is it's an odd choice that both of them always seem very happy and it's like kind of a silly situation they're in where i think that you never get the sense that they're that worried they're like and like he'll do something like oh classic sam and they're just laughing about it i'm like he's invisible guys this is terrible yeah they're keeping it very upbeat for him aren't they yeah. Can I say, I wrote down that line, though, when uh, they're trying to uh, uh, figure out what's wrong with him. And she says to, uh, Abby says to Leonard, I've done vector analysis, spin resonance, equations Einstein's never heard of. So she said. I know, Einstein, he's he's never encountered anything like this. No, he hasn't. And that, that's how good she is, too. She does eventually invent something to help him. It's a, it's a metallic arm bracelet or band that goes across his arm that will counter, that will create a counter field against the invisibility it's a, it's a stabilizer. Right. And uh, there's kind of this whole weird sequence where Abby and Leonard get to work on it. Like, there's this whole thing where they have to, like, it's like, they say, like, it's putting thousands of volts or his body's putting out thousands of volts. There's, like, this weird thing about electricity 
and Sam's body, and he's maybe electric? All I really got out of this was how similar this is to another TV pilot we watched not too long ago, North Star, in that they spend an inordinate amount of time going through the process of explaining the difficulty that this person has, then the science behind stuff without really explaining the science. Like, even like, they gave him a wristband, and oh, now we're going to make a smaller one, and now it's going to be a wristwatch, as where in North Star it was a big pair of glasses. Now you're going to give you a smaller pair of glasses. And it just seems like an odd use of time for a show. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this whole sequence here where they try to get the stabilizer to work, and like, Abby gets electrocuted while she's doing it. Sam has a cardiac arrest in Flatlines. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And Abby's like, don't worry about it. And Leonard tells her, but he's seconds away from brain death. But again, they don't always seem that worried. They're just, she's like, eh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And it is fine. So she's right. She's shown never get stressed out in a situation. I guess so. Finally, though, it kind of works. And his invisibility, as she puts it, melts away like ice. <laughs> yeah. And Sam returns to visibility. And as you mentioned, she's she's created a portable stabilizer in the version of a, a digital watch that will allow him to become visible or invisible when any time he chooses and he presses the watch and there's a there's a, a minute or two where she sort of like very quickly explains it like just push this button and it's really just for the audience like every time you push that button he uh, he's invisible again he pushes it off but what what is the limit that he finds uh, very quickly about his invisibility they they are able to determine that he has a 15 minutes maximum per day that he can be invisible or he will fade away forever isn't it weird that they decided per day i i assumed it was going to be 15 minutes at a time but 15 minutes per day, so it's like, it's just adding up as the day is. So it's like, he can only use 30 seconds. He's like, oh, I wasted that. Now in a minute and a half, which was, it's just his odd limitation they've put on it. I mean, I thought it was better than 15 minutes at a time. I thought it put a it put more of a clock on the, on the episode. Because you're like, now you're worrying how much he uses it at a time. Are you worrying? <laughs> I wasn't worried at all. You're worrying, Jordan. You're worrying. <laughs> is he using it enough? Is he using it too little? Yeah. Um, but yes, this, this wristwatch has little gold uh, plates at the back, which connect to his skin, and are, it's powered by a by plutonium and cobalt chips, an atomic battery. That would do it. And its code name is what is the code name? I didn't get it. Minus one. Oh, minus one. That's a good code name. That's a good code name. Yeah. Abby has her own companion watch as well that allows her to track how many minutes he has left in the day, and they sort of talk about how they, there's a transmission link between them, and. At some point when he gets far away from them, Leonard's worried. He's like, will you be able to pick up how many, how many minutes he has left? And she's just, she like box him and says, oh, this transmission link connect us if one of us was on the moon. Don't be dumb. It's an atomic battery. I love that. That's, that's a, there was a little 10 second scene of that. And it's just it's uh, to put the uh, viewer's mind at rest. Like, don't worry. No matter what happens, she's always going to be there. Not in the action, but off to the side monitoring. That's true. Also, I am assuming that's foreshadowing to an episode where he goes to the moon. <laughs> I ho- oh, I can only hope. But that's, that is basically all the setup for this show. And then we kind of finally get into the like plot of this episode. And that plot is the Royce industry saboteurs are worried that Sam saw the bind they attached to the satellite and will tell somebody that it was a Royce Industries brand mine. <laughs> it's an odd leap of logic that one would have to make. Let's say you are just strolling and you see a bomb on the side of a barn would you immediately think the person who put the bomb is the manufacturer of said bomb it, i mean it, that's a good question but i mean the royce industries was there very very guilty that's true anyways i mean 
you just have to suspend your disbelief for that because that's going to be the plot. The plot is Sam is trying to discover if it's Royce Industries or who it is in Royce Industries that tried killing him, and they're trying to stop him from finding out. Yeah, they 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 basically tell Mister Royce, the owner of the company, that they've heard through government channels that uh, a Russian agent blew up that satellite. And it's since Sam was the last one down there, they should go investigate him. So Royce agrees and uh, he asks the government, which is, I thought, very funny. He's like, dear government, please stay out of the investigation of this sabotage. <laughs> yeah. Me and my fellow corporation will handle it. And they're like, sounds good to us. Yeah, that sounds great. Even when he tells Leonard at the intersect, Leonard's like, yeah, that's the right call. We don't want the government getting involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you know, what? one thing we didn't mention, though, almost immediately after... Uh, I don't know if it's coming up or it's just happened, but as soon as Sam gets out of the lab, he gets on a motorbike and rides away. Just another scene. So we've seen him using a helicopter to try to catch a shark. We've seen him scuba diving, and now we see him riding a motorbike. Is there anything this guy can't do? There's nothing he can't do. He can turn invisible. And he can turn invisible. I forgot the most important thing. But yeah, no, they go to Royce Industries and they try to get in to see Sam. Uh, There's a very funny scene where Royce and Leonard talk about uh, the government and such. And uh, Leonard's like, hey, listen, you investigate your shop. I'll investigate my shop. We'll compare notes. And Royce is like, no, that makes sense. Uh, my apologies. I already sent my goons in to, uh, in- to interrogate your man, though. My apologies. Yeah. <laughs> I just like he didn't ask any. He didn't ask for any permissions. He just sent his goons back. Hey, he's, he's a head of a big company. You get what you want. Um, but when his goons get back there, Sam has uh, he's busy testing his watch. So he's invisible. And uh, basically the bad guys leave. Royce kind of calls them off. And uh, Sam returns to visibility and says, hey, you know what? I hadn't thought about this before, but I recognized a Royce brand mine on the side of that satellite. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe they were the ones who uh, planted the bomb or the mine. Why don't we go to Royce Industries tomorrow and I'll invisible around. See Mm -hmm. what I can find out. And this is what you know the show really what the show thinks its strength is going to be, which is him getting in and out of places with invisibility and a lot of hijinks of like running down a hallway and someone sees him and then he he's invisible and they can't see him again. You'll see that over and over and over in this show. Uh, I like the next morning they're on their way on their way to Royce Industries to investigate. Sam drives his motorcycle. Abby drives her Jeep and they kind of race through the streets. And Leonard does not approve of either of their vehicles. He finds them both very dangerous and unsafe. And I think they say they're like, he's like we're gonna get there an hour they're like to get there an hour you gotta drive 90 miles an hour and he's like yeah and then just like peels off in his motorbike and you're like that guy is a badass did you notice though how like midpoint through the show abby has to get back in the jeep with leonard and back it out and i i don't think the actress can drive shift like a stick shift oh i didn't notice so like the car is like kind of jumping as she backs out and from that point on for the rest of the episode for some reason Leonard starts taking the driver's seat and she's always the passenger for the rest of the show. Oh, that's funny. I didn't notice that. Which was too bad because they kind of established what I thought was an interesting twist on this dynamic was, yes, Sam's a daredevil. He drives too fast. But like Abby's into it. She's also just speeding. She doesn't care about rules. Like it was like interesting. They're both daredevils. Right. But I guess they had to cut that out at some point. Well, she can't drive. It does make it more difficult. And then, uh, but we kind of get this driving sequence because we get a classic 1970s highway cop scene. Yeah, where they're speeding by and a cop's just like waiting there. He's like, yes, finally got one of these punks. And, you know, chases them out. And there's a lot of, you know, tire screeching and and doing U-turns, the dust blowing all around. But Sam's invisible. So, you know, that's going to get used. 
Yeah, he pulls over to the side of the road, turns himself invisible, and as the cop goes to kind of find out what happened to the guy who's riding his motorcycle, he lets the air to the cop's tires and drives away. It's a real Smokey and the Bandit kind of move. What was going on in the 70s that everybody hated highway patrol people who were just trying to do their job and, like, stop reckless drivers? I don't know. I think I don't think it's so much that. I think it's just a fun scene, and it's always fun, and so people just keep doing it over and over and over. But it does seem like almost it's the same cop in every scene. It's always kind of like a slightly chubby, older cop guy, and, he, and he's always getting uh, won over by this yeah, young hotshot. And, I mean, he's just doing his job. Sam was driving terribly recklessly. It's true. And what did he get for it? Flat tire. Flat tire. Probably fired. <laughs> Probably also fired. You're right. <laughs> uh, bad time in the 70s. Yep. What was he going to do? Those jobs are drying up. <laughs> what with uh, Jimmy Carter coming into into the office, you know? <laughs> the oil shortage. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, we go to Royce Industries now. Royce doesn't care to be accused of having a saboteur within his own ranks. Because as we come to learn is uh, Royce isn't in on this. It's all his like second in command kind of running this 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 sabotage scam. Yeah. Um, but he has the, the his his friends from Intersect tossed out of his office when uh, when they tell him he might have a saboteur, which is at this point that Sam tells his uh, co-workers, listen, you guys take off. I'm going to go invisible and investigate. Yeah. And one thing I think they did a smart idea with that I don't know if they'll keep doing is when he's invisible, they start doing a lot of like POV shots. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think it looks better as a POV shot than when they're just sort of shooting a corner as if like, oh, maybe someone's standing here. They do do a lot of scenes though, where like, I think in the scene that are coming up, he's sitting on a couch and what's he eating? He's like throwing nuts up in the air and eating them or something like that. Yeah, he sneaks back into the office to listen to these guys talk and he starts eating a, a dish of caramels. That's you just see caramels floating in the air. That's right. I mean, that's basically what he does here is he's dodging security. He's jumping in and out of offices. And he kind of learns basically that Royce's employees have convinced him to go to Washington to get ahead of the idea, to get ahead of this story that a, a Royce brand mine was used to blow up the satellite. So they're like, you should fly to the Pentagon, talk to them in person, really tell them your side of the story. So Dr. Schuler calls up Royce's private jet and gives them a ominous coded message to get ready for a flight to Washington. Mm-hmm. So Sam heads off to the Royce Industries private airfield. I mean, this Royce Industries is doing very well. Oh, it's a very good private uh, defense firm. I mean, that's that's what it is, right? I mean, they're making military-grade weapons, so they're, they're not hurting. Did you like, because uh, Sam gets to the airfield and it ends up in a van slash security car chase for seven minutes. <laughs> it does go on for a long time. And again, there's another these like invisible hijinks thing where this is the one where like I think four security guards chase him. He gets into a van. They look at the van, don't see him. He drives away. They chase the van. He gets out of the van, gets in a different car. And it's like it goes on and on and on. It's just like that's that's where they uh, where they think the viewers are. They're grabbing them. Well, it's all on an airfield, too. So while I was watching it, they're actually driving in circles. Like, there are sequences where the, the, the van drives and turns in a big circle, and the cars chase him in that circle, and then he drives around a building, and they drive around a building with him. At one point, they just go into what is, I guess, like a, just a big, uh, what would you call it? Like an air... A hangar. Oh, yeah, an air hangar, excuse me. And it just, yeah, it's right. They just, he's going around in circles, and they, like, they don't know how to deal with it. And I was like, guys, he's just driving a van in circles. But at some point, he managed to escape the security. He dresses up as an employee. And he kind of goes to sort of figure out what's going on. And he kind of discovers the ploy at play as he talks to a few other employees and finds out the uh, private jet is only fueled with enough fuel to get to Denver. And if they're going to fly to Denver, that means 
there's going to be a very low oxygen content in the cabin, especially if they turn off the oxygen. And Royce has that heart condition. So certainly Royce will have that heart attack and die. So I guess Schuler will take over and start selling weapons to the highest bidder. Like they put this together very quickly. <laughs> Not only that, I still don't know if I understand. Uh, Schuler is that his name? The number two? Yeah. I wasn't sure if he wanted Royce to go just because he didn't want to be caught as the person who planted the mine, or if that's just an incidental issue because he just wants to take over the company because he doesn't like the way Royce is running things. It seems like that's the thing is at first it feels like he's trying to cover up his connection to Russians. And then it starts becoming a plot about him taking over the company. Like it's as if they abandoned the initial plot and moved on to a new plot halfway through. The important thing though is Royce has angina. Yes, your favorite your favorite heart condition. <laughs> right now it is, yeah. Um, during sort of this pre-flight before he gets on the thing, uh, Sam breaks back into Royce's office and he tries to like convince Royce not to go, but Royce still won't hear him. And it has my favorite fight of the se- of the thing because Royce has basically calls security into his office, and Sam and these like seven security guards destroy that office. Yeah, it's it's actually not a bad fight sequence the way it's choreographed. He does sort of take out every single guy in one punch. But he, he beats up like seven or eight guys. But yeah, there's a lot of like throwing people across tables into walls where frames are breaking and he's kicking them through uh, shelves and stuff. It's pretty fun. Yeah, he's like jumping off desks. It, it was a fun little sequence. But eventually, though, Sam uses his invisibility to sneak onto the corporate jet. And uh, when Royce is in his private jet office now, he's got offices everywhere, this guy. Oh, didn't you love that? Yeah, so you have them on the on their private plane, which I know look obviously a lot more fancy than a, a commercial uh, plane. But yeah, he's got like a fancy big like mahogany desk set up in there. I was like, wow, he really likes that. He has his style. And uh, Sam convinces him that he's in trouble by appearing out of thin air and showing him his invisibility stuff. And for whatever reason, this is all this is what Royce needed to trust trust Sam and his opinion that his uh, underlings are trying to kill him. Well, basically, the argument he makes is that I heard them saying they're going to kill you. And he's like, why should I believe you? And then he's like, well, I'm invisible. So I heard everything. And he goes, seems legit. Can't argue with that. Yep. There's a little invisibility sequence here where Sam, in preparation for the oxygen, he knows is eventually going to be uh, lowered in the cabin. He he sneaks out into the main the main part of the plate and like takes an oxygen tank and like sort of like carries it low to the ground. So like there's just a floating oxygen tank mm-hmm. sneaking past the bad guys. And the point of that being, they think that when they get to a certain point, there won't be oxygen. Royce will, as we said, have a heart attack. But now that he has this oxygen tank, he'll be able to breathe properly and he won't die. Yeah. And when when the scheme comes into play, the bad guys put their own overhead masks on, just like you see when you ride a plane. Isn't that fun? Yeah. I've never seen it ever happen except in, in TV. But uh, yes, yes, it's lots of fun. One of the henchmen's is like, well, I better go check and make sure Royce has passed out from lack of oxygen. And he sticks his head to the door and sees Royce and Sam just sitting on the table where uh, on his desk, like wearing masks. And the uh, henchman comes back and he like gathers all the bad guys up. He's like, hey, he's in there with a mask and somebody's with him. And they open the door back up and it's just Royce by himself suddenly sitting on the desk. That invisibility really comes in handy. It really comes in handy. And then you're going to get now a sequence of scenes of Sam like pulling out their oxygen and like invisible hijinks. He's he's hitting people and he's he's tripping everyone. Yeah, all, all these actors are now pretending to get punched in the face by nothing mm-hmm. and like flipping through the air and like essentially invisible sam fights his way through the car through the through the plane to the cockpit beats up the pilots 
and takes control of the plane. Mm-hmm. And what we learn now is he can also fly a plane. Yes. Well, that's not entirely true, actually. Well, mostly. He can mostly fly a plane. He said he gets up there. He takes the cockpit back. Royce ties up all the bad guys. And uh, Sam basically calls it and says, hey, uh, flight control, I need you to get a pilot here. I need someone to help me land this airplane. But things are getting worse, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Because how long has he been uh, invisible now for? Um, according to Abby in the show, she says you have only two minutes left of your daily allowance of invisibility. Mm-hmm. But his watch is on the fritz. He broke it while he was fighting. So what they say is the little uh, copper or gold connectors, whatever they are, because they're not working now, he's he's fuzzing in and out of visibility. So, so every time he goes back invisible, it's it's running the clock out. So he's he's in danger of dying, I suppose. Yes, and so basically Sam, who eventually goes completely invisible, has to talk to a pilot on the ground to talk him through the landing procedures of a jumbo jet. And a very chill pilot, I must say. That guy seemed very nonchalant about the whole thing. They went to the Abbey School of Conflict-Adverse Management. I will say, though, I actually thought this sequence with the stock footage they used and the pilot on the ground kind of talk, like, they really do technically talk him through landing a plane, like, lower the flaps, pull back your speed. I actually was surprised by how much tension they got out of this. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good sequence. Jordan, do you think you could land a jet if someone talked you through it? Like, after watching what was a, I actually thought was a pretty, like, detailed explanation of it. You know what? I think up until the actual landing, I think I could probably do. Where they were like, put it to this, mu- you know, this number, and then make sure you're at this sort of Right, pull feet. it back this far. Do this to the flat. Up to that point. But I think once you get to the, the ground, and you, ha- I think there's a little bit of skill of having the tires hit the tarmac, I don't think I would do well at that part at all. Yeah, I, you know what? I felt exactly the same. Up to that point, I'm like, okay, okay. And then when he actually has to put it on the ground, I'm like, oh, this is where I kill everyone. Yeah, yeah. I just go nosedive and just flip the plane over on itself. <laughs> but essentially, they land. Royce is saved. But the ro- the watch has run over 15 minutes of invisibility during the landing process. And Amy, Abby and Leonard race onto the plane to find the invisible Sam in the cockpit. She takes off his watch, fixes the gold contacts and put it back, puts it back on. And aren't they lucky? He reappears and regains consciousness. They had made it very clear he only has 15 minutes. He went over 15 minutes. Do you think now it's going to be a 16-minute timer? Listen, let me tell you what I think. Because I watched this entire pilot, and I paused it and wrote down how long he was invisible every time he was invisible to track the watch. Really? And I can tell you exactly how long, a conservative estimate of exactly how long he was invisible for. I'd like to know. What was it? 20 minutes and 42 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good and i did that because i was like you know what the fun of this show is going to be is it's going to be me seeing how close they are and how accurate they are to that watch being on and i will say they're they're giving themselves a little bit of leeway but when she said he had two minutes left my my count was closer to about like a minute 42 Mm. so they were actually surprisingly close in show to what he should have had left on his watch every time they checked in with her but i will say this the fact that they set up this 15 minutes or you die sequence at the start of this, and by the end of the first episode, he's been invisible for 20 minutes, almost 21 minutes, and he's fine. Th- there's no stakes now. They've drained all the stakes out of the entire series. There's nothing left on this show. Well, I get your point. I think what I disagree with is I don't think those stakes were ever that high, and I don't know if anyone watching ever 
actually cares about the time. But that's that's all the show had was these don't save invisible for more than 15 minutes. And the first episode, the first thing they do is make him stay invisible for 20 minutes. I don't disagree with you. I just think I just don't think anyone cares. I don't think anyone really I don't think a viewer in 1976 would be timing it like you did. But just, what's the show now, though? There's no there's no stakes. I think the next episode will be the exact same thing. I think every episode it will get to that point and he'll be fine. All right. Well, I mean, that's it. Like, that's the whole show. He yeah. He gets to the end. He can be invisible for as long as he wants. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's it. close to 50. I think I think we're going to be close to 50 every time. I don't think we're going to have an episode where he goes at 45 or anything like that. All right, Jordan. Any, any final thoughts on this show? I got right away what this show is going to be, and I'm sure you did as well. And I'm pretty sure I know what each of the episodes are going to be. Um, a, you know, condensed version of this. A lot of invisible hijacks. A lot of miming. Him being kind of cool and suave, riding motorbikes and such. What I'm, I am curious to know is, I felt like there wasn't a lot for Abby and Leonard. Is that his name, Leonard? Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like there was a lot for them to do, and I'd be curious to see if they keep both those characters, or if they compress them into one character, or if anything else has changed. Because this was, you know, as you mentioned, a pilot that was months before the series. I wonder what sort of retooling is going to be uh, seen in the next couple episodes. No, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they've kind of learned a few lessons from this and we'll see kind of how they how they move forward when it came back five months later as a TV series. Maybe they'll be better at timing the 15 minutes. I will say I did like so, some of the effects were actually well done. The invisibility effects, like they were much better done than I thought they would be. Like there's a there's a scene where uh, he reappears like he's on the plane with Royce and he disappears and reappears sitting next to Royce on on the desk. And it's nearly seamless, and it's because he reappears behind Royce, so that actor had to stay perfectly still while they reset up the shot and had the guy behind him. And I was very impressed by, like, how close they got to a seamless, like, transition between some of these things, which is quite difficult to do, especially if you're not doing it with digital effects. Yeah, they they did do it better than, uh, I would say, the closest comparison is a sort of I Dream of Jeannie sort of thing, of her blinking in and out of stuff. I was actually surprised by how well the effects were done on this show. All right, Jordan, you want to rate the first episode? Yeah, I'm going to be pretty forgiving as I usually am with the first episode. I did think it was great, but I got what the show was, and I think there's some potential for it to be kind of a fun show. It's not going to be a science-based, very intelligent show. I think it's going to be more of a fun action show. I think that's where their strength lies. So I'm going to give it a six and a half out of ten. Six and a half out of ten. You got to start high. You got to start somewhere. I think for the most part, I watched this, and it's been it was a five for me pretty much the whole show because it's very like straightforward right there's really not much going on like it, it feels like it's just running through the motions for the most part it's fine that they wave hand wave the science away at like but it doesn't feel like it's really trying much but i will say as soon as they threw out the one piece of stakes they had like running to like running him over that 15 minutes in the first episode i was just like well the show has nothing now it's a four i think at best this does not bode well for Gemini Man, and it's 11 episodes. Yeah, I, I was going to give it a five the whole time, because I'm like, this is just a very average episode of television. But uh, it lost me at the end there. Just trying to save one point that we lost there because of the stakes. Do you do remember that he wore a jean jacket with embroidered roses all over them at one point, right? Does that not get a point? I, 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 I'll see it again. <laughs> okay, just just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's it for the first episode, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, uh, we'll, we'll see what the next episodes are like, especially because this was an hour and a half, 
and those are will be more you know normal 45 minute episodes so we'll see if uh if that changes the show at all yeah i'll be curious if they like i think its biggest sin is how little it tries yeah i would agree with you on that i mean i think it's a simple concept and i think they they're just trying to go through the motions of what they they think this show is and it's a little bit paint by numbers yeah because someone did put some care into the effects I think someone put an amazing amount of care into how they use stock footage, but like the writing and the storytelling itself are like, it's not bad, but it's just not good. It's just, it feels just like, well, that's an hour of TV filled. Yeah. An hour and a half. Hour and a half in this case. You're right. Yeah. Oh dear. But I mean, you know what? It will have some pretty fun gifts for social media. Agreed. Yeah. There are some, going to be some fun ones. A lot of, a lot of invisible miming. You got uh, people putting bandages off. Like, where's the hand? Exactly. And you'll be able to see those on our Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag is that handle. And of course, maybe maybe you watched us what was on. Maybe you remember how exciting it was to see an invisible man on television. Uh, you can write in to us here at Continuum Drag. The email address is ContinuumDrag at gmail.com. And uh, that about wraps up this episode, I think. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the next few episodes. Again, we'll see if anything changed. We'll see if they get better i mean hopefully it gets better but uh we'll see if there's more invisible antics to come hey they'll get shorter so that's something anyway. <laughs> that's true that is true all right jordan uh good podcasting with you and listener thanks for joining us continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario theme music by james rick Siedler. produced by jordan delic and luke black special thanks to aaron yunes adam wheatner jeff hanley Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard.